a Highline podcast. Hey, everybody. Before the episode, I just want to let you know about something we're doing for one of our patrons, Reverend Courtney Clark. You might remember her name from the episode 75, The Problems We Have with Suffering, which came from her question. One of the reasons this is an issue she's always thinking about is because she suffers from nutcracker syndrome due to extreme vascular compression. If you're curious about her story so far, you can read about it in the GoFundMe we're sponsoring for her through June. Link is in the show notes. We're hoping to get her just an extra $1,000 as she potentially takes off the next six months to recover from surgeries and hopefully get a couple date nights in too. We are giving all of our Patreon donations from May and June to her, which will include any new patrons who sign up during those months. We would be thrilled if you could be a part of this with us, whether you sign up through Patreon, give directly to the GoFundMe, or just share about this rare illness. Again, link is in the show notes. Here's the episode. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers. But we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. Here we are again. How are you and what are your beverages today? What are hello, you hello. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm uh, a raveler. Hi, and Josh. I'm drink- <laughs> and I'm drinking a coffee mead. I didn't have quite enough time before I hopped oh. on to make an actual coffee. And I was like, All right, I'm craving the caffeination, kind of like we were talking about on our last episode about habits. And uh, this is the only thing I could find in my fridge that seems to have some amount of caffeine in it. But it's unclear how much caffeine is in it compared to alcohol. So, uh, oh. okay. Uh, so Josh it's good. might be a little questionable this episode. Okay, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I have a. What I have, about you, Stephen? I'm enjoying a can of. Man, I'm kind of looking at it. There's no real title for it. It's by. It's from <laughs> By All Means Brewing here in Billings. Oh yeah, and it's labeled as an experimental lab release. So it's release <gasps> number four, and it's a sour. There's no real title for it, but the flavor profile that. says it's fruited gose. With prickly pear, lime, and salt. Ooh. So I love that they're just like naming these like sonatas, like release number four. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. That's <laughs> like fun. a sonata. That's, That's a great way. Symphony number five. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. What about you, Emily? I mixed together like a non-alcoholic fruity cocktail. Ooh. I don't know concoction. It's like a cranberry with orange juice. And a little sprinkle of like strawberries. It's fun. It's just very colorful and springy and delicious. That sounds very nice. And none of our beverage. Well, no, I guess it kind of very, very stretch ties into what our topic for today is. But um, really, you know, I am one for parties and for get togethers uh, and celebrations. And I was talking to Stephen uh, before we were hopping on about. A wedding that I'm going to be uh, performing. Uh, our friend, our schoolmate, Taylor and Malcolm are getting married in August. And they asked me to officiate, which is just so cool. Um, but it got me thinking about marriage and weddings. Mm. And, you know, we were talking about rituals and habits. And I find that in funerals, sort of, but in weddings, Definitely. There are these like rituals and these traditions and these habits that we feel like we have. And I think marriage is one of those topics that can be kind of hit or miss for people. Uh, And (laughs) in the church Mm. and in the Bible, we find language around marriage and, you know, the bridegroom and the bride. And it's it's one of those things where that's what I'm wrestling with today is the idea, the concept of marriage and we can take it in whatever direction because I really don't know where to go with it. It just was one of those wow. things that 
uh. popped into my head like, huh, yeah, that's a thing. Uh. <laughs> like, I'm married. You know, yeah, it's funny that we didn't talk about marriage or funerals at all on the last episode. I didn't even think about those. I didn't even think about yeah. it until afterwards. Yeah. I think we have done an episode. I think I brought a topic like wrestling with like complementarian versus egalitarian kind of ideas. But I think that tangentially went a lot of different places. So it did focus on marriage today would be very exciting. Like who were role models of marriage? And like, did you, you know, did you dream about marriage or like who you were going to marry or or what your wedding would look like? Like what's the big hoopla Mm. on weddings and, Mm. and things like that, you know? Well, so first of all, I don't think any of the three of us come from families of like divorced parents. Is that true? Yes. That is true. So mm-hmm. that is certainly experience an experience that none of the three of us can really talk to, even though it's like it's very pervasive in marriage culture in America, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess just in way of recognizing the fact that we're all coming to it from families where our parents have remained married as long as we've known them as parents. Uh, like I, I have to assume that leaves us all with a few blind spots, though, Emily, in your experience as a pastor, I'm sure you see the the pluses and minuses to divorce as it is. Oh, yeah. Which is a whole biblical topic that Christians don't talk about much anymore anyway. But um, yeah, that's true. Or they've just like segmented into like whichever camp they fit in. Yeah. Because like, for instance, I think that my parents do not believe in divorce. Yeah, right. And like there are things in my parents' marriage that I would like to not repeat when I get married. Right. Whereas I've had conversations with with dear friends who are married and even I think myself to a degree, like I actually feel a tremendous amount of maybe freedom is the right word, but also it's it's almost like a security of like I feel more secure in my marriage that the divorce like, because some people even say it's the D word. Like, they won't even say the divorce, <laughs> right? As if it's Voldemort or something. Yeah. Like, I I feel actually honored to be part of a marriage where certainly we don't want to get divorced. Like, that's that's never been even in the back of my mind. But that it remains on the table almost means more to me in that, like, yeah, we're choosing each other every day and we're doing it happily so far. Mm-hmm. And shoot, Dixie and I are coming up on, like, seven-year anniversary now. Oh, wow. Which just feels wild, you guys. (laughs) That's so, that's a lot. Like we've been in a relationship since I started dating her in my freshman year of high school. So like 12 years. Yeah. We've like been romantically involved. Seven of those, like the majority of our lives together now has been married. But I like the fact that we're not threatened by the conversation of divorce because it it does Mm -hmm. lend itself to some ideas of like, yeah, well, no, we're still being intentional about this. Like as, as long as it's not, yeah. it's an option, it reminds you of like why we chose marriage in the first place. Whereas if it's just like a, like a foregone conclusion that we will always be married, I think sometimes that perpetuates some really nasty cycles of abuse of like, well, you can't get away from me. So yeah. Uh, Ownership. Oh, that's a great word for it. Emily, how long have you been married? It'll be five years this June. That's a long time too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am not married. Obviously, like I am, uh, I'm living with my girlfriend, but I'm cohabitating, as the the kids say. But we are not married yet. Has the topic of marriage come up? Yeah, totally. And like, obviously, it's mm-hmm. like an ongoing conversation about like, like when and how. But yeah, we haven't gotten married yet. Obviously, one of the things that I have found, you know, and I haven't been in this profession for a very long time. But in the amounts of weddings that I have done um, and just in conversations that I've had with people who are married is you can tell. How do I want to say this? You can tell what a relationship is based on or what they find to be foundational Mm. by how they talk about either their wedding or their marriage. So. If, the, if all the preparation and and everything is is going into the wedding, but they don't really talk about what happens after, I kind of get a foreshadowing of, hmm, you know, this is going to be really interesting to see how your relationship unfolds. Whereas partners who talk about their marriage, mm. you know, yes, the wedding day is important, but really like the way they talk about their future, I can see 
okay, yes, this is like where your goals are. And it's just very interesting when I do premarital counseling, how people describe their relationship and what they want. Those that are focused more on the celebration, like the day of the wedding, they tend to have a lot of issues in their marriage versus when they actually talk about Uh, their marriage. That's that's a very interesting perspective. Do you know what the average price of a wedding is? Ridiculous. That's what. (laughs) Do you know what the vast majority of wedding prices are, though? Oh, I want to say it's very different from the average. The average is usually quoted at like 50 to 70,000. Yeah. Okay, so what's the majority then? About, I've heard a couple different ones. I was listening to a marriage podcast quite a few years ago because I was in a previous relationship where we were considering getting married very quickly. And so I was listening, I was trying to like get as much information as possible. So I was listening to this one podcast that I think is actually put on by these two women who run a wedding venue. And it's like a very low key wedding venue. They're huge fans of like low cost weddings. Eighty, I think roughly, if I remember right, roughly about eighty percent of weddings are less than ten grand. But the average statistic gets drawn up so much because of like the really elaborate, uber rich weddings that get put on. Sure. So like most weddings are like you know a couple thousand dollars, but like not fifty thousand. Yeah. And the the statistics are pretty clear that like the more you spend on your wedding, the more likely you are to get divorced. Like it's correlation, Mm -hmm. it's not causation. Sure. But like I liked your point, Emily, about like. Like it really matters like where your focus is. Like if you're focused on your relationship versus like yeah. the event and like being the center yeah. of attention. It's a very different emphasis. Yeah, that was quoted to me a couple of times when we had started like pre-marriage counseling. Yeah, it was like, we're doing this pre-marriage counseling because it's really the marriage we should be thinking about. Like the wedding prep is fine and it's great to have a party. Mm-hmm. Like we, we should never discount that. But yeah, I think the the focus on marriage was something that was quoted at me can we talk about marriage counseling yeah yes Yes, please of course okay because like i'm not married and like like obviously i've I've like had a little bit of a psych background i've never been in therapy long term but there's a there's a part of me that's like ooh, is marriage counseling just like like a cultural hangover of christian counseling culture and like should you do it or like would it be more effective for you to like see a therapist together it really depends that that's a classic emily answer Please elaborate. (laughs) It really depends because like, okay, so for example, I'm married to a therapist, right? And he does couples therapy. And when I do premarital counseling, the things that we discuss, you know, he'll ask like, oh, you know, so Taylor and Malcolm, like, what are the things that you have lined up for their sessions? I'm like, oh, you know, we're going to talk about finances and family and, you know, conflict resolution styles. And he goes, huh? Yeah, those are things that I discuss with my couples, too. The difference, though, is my conversations are more, okay. so this is in preparation of those things. And Alex's conversations are more, hey, these are things that are happening now. And, you know, it's like maintenance versus preparation, maintenance, you know, action, reflection, Hmm. action, you know, your finances. Yeah, they're a little little skewed. Like, why is that? Okay, well, now we can address it. So that way your future is better or whatever. And I think. If you want a, I don't want to say happy because you can be happy even without it, but if you want a stable and kind of an ease entering marriage, you should absolutely do premarital counseling. Absolutely. And if your pastor or whoever is officiating your wedding does not offer it, go to someone that will do premarital counseling because I think it is so important to have those conversations before the big event, because <laughs> mm. you don't want to have these conversations two years into your marriage where you're like, oh, yeah, we never really talked about if we want kids or not. Right. <laughs> I've heard that angle before, too. And like, but is the concept of marriage counseling like Christian specific in any way? No. OK. Yeah. It. I mean, Emily, I, I, I would assume that you are asked occasionally, if not often, to do weddings for like people who don't attend your church or don't identify as Christian or religious at all. Mm -hmm. So I have to imagine that you've tailored your counseling to be not secularized, but like what, what I appreciate about what you're highlighting is like the practicality of some of the conversations that should be had before you get married. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think my experience was a little different. Uh, like we Dixie and I started marriage counseling with, 
basically the pastor that we grew up under. Like I had known that pastor since I was in the fourth grade. So we started that and there was a pretty good foundation of like, all right, we're, we were all pretty much in agreement that we believe the same things. But I think what, uh, turned Dixie and I off of the, the counseling itself as like the weekly thing we did or the bi-week, I honestly don't remember, but was the heavy emphasis on like Pauline marriage theology. And it was, Um, there was a ton of theology baked into the materials we were doing. Whereas hmm. it sounds like you've done the work to kind of separate maybe some of that practicality from the rest of that. Not that the, the rest of that is wrong, but it felt like, yeah, dude, we kind of know this. <laughs> like, why are we? Yeah. But like when you're talking about the practicalities of like, yeah, she is going to, you know, she is choosing to legally change her name, which has implications for the state and for your bank accounts and for everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's there's a lot of that stuff where I think you should do counseling for. But to Josh's point, I do think when the theology is baked heavily into it, I do think that's just a holdover of like, well, we need a Christian version of therapy because like therapy in and of itself is not like the best way we can do it if it's not like laced with God language. Mm-hmm. So Josh, do marriage counseling with someone Emily recommends. Deal. Yeah, yeah, Emily, who would you recommend going to if like someone is not either ingrained in a church community or doesn't know if they want Christian specific premarital counseling? Because like I feel like I'm kind of in that boat. Ooh. I would first do your research. So this is for any type of counseling, really. Do your research of who is in the community and what they specialize in. I have found those that want to pursue counseling even further beyond premarital counseling outside of meeting with me, the places that they go to are often going to be places where they offer a wide variety of therapy styles. So Mm. places that have, you know, family therapy, couples therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, those are the kind of places that I would recommend because then you're going to have so many options for the rest of your life. (laughs) Like if they're just Hmm. a place that specializes in couples therapy and nothing else, then, you know, if something happens down the road and you're like, oh, you know, we need to really address this with our kid or as an individual and they don't specialize in that, then you're you're going to be in in some hurt. Uh, And so the more variety, the better. Uh, and I am always open to offer premarital counseling. <laughs> I do I do anywhere between a minimum of four, and I've done as many as 12 sessions of premarital counseling. So hmm. it can be tailored to whatever your needs are. And that's the other thing, too, is the person should be willing to tailor to the needs that the individuals, both as individuals and as the couple have. Mm. That is important for sure. Because if you go to someone and they say, these are the things we're going to be talking about. And you're like, yeah, no, we don't like, we know we don't want to have kids. Like we don't need to address the schematics of that. And they, yeah, right. they try to push you to talk about it. Then, then they're not really there to listen to you. So mm. find someone that's going to tailor your therapeutic needs to you. So this is kind of a little bit of a pivot, but I had a, I had a friend the other day who was talking to me about uh, this like couple in his church that he knows who like just started recently dating. And they're like, I don't know their ages exactly, but I would guess like early 20s. They're not in high school, maybe mid to late 20s. And uh, mm. I don't know exactly how it came about, but the pastor and his wife started having them like almost immediately, like start meeting with them as a couple to like go over their relationship. And like, I don't know all the details or mm. something, but I was like talking to my friend about like how odd that feels when it's like not like they just started dating. Like, it's not like it's premarital counseling. It's sure. like, it, it feels like a quasi like couples mentor kind of thing. Like, Stephen, I know that you've talked about like having a, like a couple that you consider like your marriage mentors. Before, yeah. Right. Which totally makes sense in like the context of like, of marriage or like having like a couple that you look up to that you want to hang out with. But like it did it like just hearing about the situation secondhand, it did feel kind of weird. Like hearing about like the pastor and his wife feeling like making the couple feel like they had to meet with them starting now, like as a dating couple. Yeah. And what it reminded me of is I think that there's this expectation 
that's very prevalent in Christianity that A, everyone is meant to and going to get married, which is just not the reality, and B, <laughs> that every relationship you have can or not will and should lead to marriage. And like I, I remember like mm. people telling me forever ago, like, well, if you're not ready to get married, you shouldn't be dating. Which I is I only funny. date to marry, bro. Yeah, yeah. which is funny because <sighs> like they're like, well, if you're ready to get married, then just like don't date. Like just get married right now. Like, <laughs> like they're fundamentally different things. So like why would you like equate them? Yeah. I, I get the I get ah. the angle of like be serious. Like take it seriously and like take like other humans seriously. Mm-hmm. which I can value that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking about that. And then I was also thinking about, this is kind of another tangent. We, we don't have to go down if we don't want to, but I've, I've gotten this in the church. So I was reminded of it. I had a youth pastor once who uh, espoused the idea that, granted he was giving this to middle schoolers, so, you know, grain of salt. But he <laughs> argued that like, you should be friends with someone long before you start dating. No. Because mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out, then you can still be friends with them. That's a bunch of bull. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In my experience, that is bull. Like, maybe that does work for some people, and I don't want to invalidate that, but like, I don't know. That, like, those, like, those all are very interestingly specific marriage opinions that I've seen happen in the church that just don't seem realistic to me. Mm. Yeah. So, how do you like notice those? I mean, because obviously, like, they're more obvious in hindsight. Like, how do you notice weird opinions about marriage and like determine? that you're not going to have that opinion. Mm. How do you see it coming? Or how do you? Mm. I don't really know how to answer that. I think that question kind of assumes that you have like a position going into it. Yeah. You know? Mm. Whereas like, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of like the idea of, uh, you know, Christians say or talk about like, test things against the scriptures if you haven't thought about it before or whatever. Like, I don't know. I'm just thinking mm. of, I, I don't know if you necessarily will have predetermined opinions until you start thinking about it. And usually you start thinking about it because it's kicked off by someone having one of those weird opinions. Yeah. <laughs> Does that yeah. make sense? You know, yeah, like, yeah. It, it honestly took me a while. I mean, for the most part, because my relationship to the Bible changed, but the moment I realized that I was like, Oh, I think I disagree with Paul on the way marriage is like the writer of Mm -hmm. scripture. I think I disagree with Paul and that's okay. Was a really freeing moment to me of like, oh, okay, we can have different opinions. That's fine. My brother in Christ, we have different opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Also, my brother in Christ, Paul, who is single, nothing against single people. I think maybe we should talk about that too, but yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a single person who had like a lot of opinions about marriage and what it should be and should not be. Yeah, right. Well, because I think he was bringing a very, not esoteric, but he was like spiritualizing marriage Mm -hmm. very heavily and drawing an allegory to like, so the wife is to the husband as the church is to Christ, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it is interesting when single people want to share an opinion or advice on marriage. Yeah. Yeah. But it also goes the other way too, I think. Like, I think a lot of like partnered people love giving single people opinions on what they should do. And I don't think that's right either. In order to not be single anymore. Right. Because like apparently being single is now a crime. Yeah. Totally it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just a bias of like, well, I'm married. I think you should be married. Like, I, I truthfully am very into the idea of young marriage, right? Like, I got married when I was 20. Oh. And from the people I know, so from like anecdotal experience of relationships I have to this day, like that has worked for a lot of us, right? Huh. But that's my opinion and I don't necessarily feel like the need to tell all my single friends or I don't know, the people coming of age. Ugh, what a horrible term. <laughs> but like the people younger than me that are my age when I got married. I don't feel the pressure of being mm-hmm. like, you should get married now. Cause honestly, it's really awesome. Cause it's been awesome mm. for me, but that's not necessarily true for other folks. Well, that's the thing. I mean, marriage is such I, an individual this is the way thing. I think about it is mm. sorry, Amelia, I cut you off, but this is the way I think about it is I don't think that unless we find a guest who would love to have a ravel type conversation with us on the air, I don't think the three of us 
will or should ever tackle the concept of like gender and sexual orientation because we're all cis and heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's not our place to speak on it. And that's how I think of like, why are singles telling married people what, like, why is Paul telling people <laughs> who are married how they should be? And why are married people telling mm. all the single people how it should be? Yeah. It's not your lane. It's not our lane, you know? And it's like such an easy cognitive error to make What like where you like want to generalize your personal experience to everyone. Totally. I think it's one of those things where we just have to be so careful when your experience is clearly not the same as someone else's. You know, you could be in a room where 50 couples have all been married for 50 years, but maybe some of those 50 years they really thought about getting divorced. And maybe for some of those 50 years they were unfaithful and the other person Mm -hmm. didn't know it. Or, you know, we just really don't know the circumstances of someone's marriage. And the grass is greener on the other side, but is it because of, you know, genetically modified grass or <laughs> whatever the case may be, you know? That's and, funny. <laughs> yeah. And I just think the idea of marriage too is we talk about it like it's this, t- it, like a title that you earn or like a level of achievement. Like I'm married now. I've made it to the next level and I, I've earned all these things now Ugh. with this title of marriage. And it's like, bleh. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a bit of like American dream baked into it, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's gross. Like, uh, this is like such a low hanging fruit that I feel like it doesn't need to be said, but like, the church just needs to stop treating single people like they're incomplete. Like, there's not oh, a fuller amen. level of completion, like when you're partnered. And like, we, you shouldn't put that pressure on people because, like, not everyone, as wonderful as I think it is to have a partner to go through with life, I like, it's not. It's not going to be reality for everyone, and not everyone wants that either. Yeah, like I have, I have family members who have uh, been not partnered the majority of their life, and I've never talked to them about it. But like, it's it's just like uh, I, I think it's a great example of like something that like doesn't get much attention from the church. Like churches love to focus on the family and couples, and oftentimes end up ostracizing a lot of single people. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's awful. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's it just, I feel like it shouldn't, it doesn't need to, like, I hate that we're like in a spot where like, it feels like you have to say that. Like, it should be obvious that you shouldn't do that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's just a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> uh, there are certainly incentive structures that have been built toward optimizing marriage. I mean, even, even to the fact that Dixie and I can file taxes jointly and, we mm-hmm. see a benefit from that like yeah but like a governmental incentive is very different from like a religious institution favoring sure non-single people yeah but also right? you favor the non-single people because uh, because you you may or may not have a theology of like well married people make children and children are the future of the church so well, but I also think it depends on how you view marriage, because if you have a common law mm. marriage versus an act like a traditional wedding, you know, people who have been together for seven plus years, depending on what state you're in, your common law, like you are seen as together. And, mm. you know, some people don't see that as legit. Yeah, the church doesn't recognize it, even though the state does at that point. Mm-hmm. That's because so there is there is the like spiritualizing that Paul does. and I think that the church has obviously taken and run with of like, it's not legitimate if it's not before God. But what about those everyday, like what about those people though, who have this deep connection to one another and maybe even to the divine, whatever that looks like, but they just didn't formally (laughs) say I do, but they still made vows (laughs) to each other to say like, yeah, we're going to be like, we're in this for the long haul. You don't have to wear a white dress though to prove it to me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is not my opinion, but other opinions would be like, well, they're probably living in sin the way that started. and It's not great. Well, and so, Stephen, you're bringing up a good point about if you're married, then that leads to kids. And it's we enter dangerous territory with that, too, of relationships mm. automatically then means that you need to have kids. Yeah, that's prevalent. Too. So that is certainly the the marriage over singleness. But then families over like Dixie and I are not empty nesters because we haven't had kids. but. 
at our last church, like we, the longer and longer we went without having kids, the more pressure we felt because it was always like the old church ladies of like, when are you going to have a baby? As if like mm-hmm. that would be, that would be the only thing that legitimized us as a romantic couple is if like we proved it by procreating. Mm-hmm. When I, when I got engaged, I worked at a nursing home and I remember a couple of residents had asked me, so when are you having the baby? Mm. Wow. And it was like, excuse me? Wow. And they were like, well, you know, you're going to get married. And then when are you having kids? And it was like, hi, we haven't even like, he just proposed. Like, <laughs> this just happened. We're going to literally take it one day at a time, folks. Yeah. Jeez. People are so quick to just jump on the, okay, got to do the next thing. Got to do the next thing. That they forget that it's a process. Like, marriage is a commitment. Yeah. It is an everyday choice. Like, you choose to be married. The ceremony is one thing, but you actively choose every day to be committed to someone and to say, I will be faithful. I will be supportive. I will be understanding. And it may be hard and it's not always going to be a walk in the park, but I'm committed to you. And that's an everyday choice. Like just because you wake up together in the same bed doesn't mean it's assumed that you're just going to be faithful to that person (laughs) because clearly we've seen that. Mm not be the case yeah you know right Hmm. and what's the church's role in that because i think i think there's some responsibility on the church when we don't when we either don't acknowledge or legitimize relationships or singleness and when we Hmm. don't create a space of commitment for people Hmm. but then we're going to tell people how to live a faithful life in their marriage yeah i think that's what's tricky about it because like, I, I don't think it's wrong for you to have values and theologize about such a long-term commitment about, like, I mean, this, I feel like this plays really well off of our last episode about ritual. Like, in some ways, like, commitment is, like, like another form of habit. Like, you're choosing to, like, do this thing for, like, God knows how long. Like, forever, seemingly. And uh, I, I feel like what's really shady to me about the church like having really like hard set generalized opinions about marriage and not just like like not just valuing like hey it's really good when you commit to someone and that's a good thing and like here's how we can help you and like here's how your faith helps you and like also like it's good if you don't like like paul says it's better to be single and like the church just doesn't talk about that i think what's really Mm -hmm. revealing to me is like i don't think the bible has any single sexual ethic running through it and people will disagree with that but like there there's so much like the bible is just ransacked with the different forms of relationships and relationships gone wrong and like maybe some people might like take those to argue like well they're showing us examples of like what it shouldn't be but like that's that is interpretation too like like you can point to adam and eve and you can point to jesus saying therefore uh a mother will (laughs) Uh, <laughs> a mother wow <laughs> nailed it uh emily i tweeted uh we went to home depot the other day and i found a package of jb weld you know those like two oh, like epoxies yeah. that you mix together and i tweeted it with uh, a quote from jesus saying like therefore <laughs> the man will leave his mother and father and they sh- the two shall become one flesh <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's like the first thing i thought of um <gasps> I mean, like you can you can like take verses and like make an argument, but like running through the Bible, like like there's like unfaithful spouses left and right, and there's oh, yeah. polygamy, and like the Mormons have run with that before, you know, and like and then there's Paul who's like, well, singles better, but if you're gonna get married, here's how you should do it, and like yeah. I feel like there's there's very little in the Bible that is actually prescriptive about marriage, and like you can make I think you can make a theology and value statements about what it means to be in long-term committed relationships with people. Mm. And you can hold to those, but like, it's just difficult for me to like empathize with the church acting like it is very definitive yeah, on what Christianity has to say about being married. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to word that better, I guess. No, I think how you did was fine. I think that makes absolute sense. (laughs) Cool. Nailed it. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. 
Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. You seem to just like love a story that will capture you and like Definitely. characters you can relate to and be excited about. And, Absolutely. And yeah. like I we made some like real bad like little videos yeah. uh in like high school Who and didn't? stuff. Exactly. But like I was like I was like really into it. Yeah. And any t- <laughs> any time at school we could do like a project that was that was like can, can I just can I just turn this can into a little a film? Can I make a movie? Yeah. They're like uh, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Do you want a coffee by Roasting Company that sounds like we made it up? Well, we're now selling coffee by Revel Coffee throughout the whole Highline Media Network. <laughs> that is right, Josh. This is a Montana local international award-winning roaster that we've partnered with to create the Highline Blend. What's super cool is it directly supports the show that you love with every bag that you buy. How neat is that? So if you want to bag a really good coffee, I've tried many coffees from this roaster and I totally recommend it just go to highline.network slash shop or hit the link in the show notes we'll send you a bag man i'm still thinking about the the children part of yeah the implications for like christian marriage or whatever which again not in the bible i mean you could argue be fruitful and multiply maybe but i don't think necessarily Right. Yeah, but you don't have to be married to be fruitful. Yeah. Uh, I see how they get there. We'll put it that way. Sure. Especially because the part of the directive is like, go dominate the earth, right? And you don't have to be married to do that. But we've also probably hey. taken that too far. Yes. A little climate change, whatever. Um, yeah. But with the child stuff, I think like it really took my and Dixie's struggle with infertility and like experience of all this to realize how much of a theme that actually is in the Bible. Like how many times, mm. how many barren women can you name a lot? Mm. There's a lot in the Bible. Like it comes up a lot. So it's not a new problem mm. that we experience, but I think with how many times those stories come up, they're usually followed with a one, two punch of like, she was barren and then a miracle. Mm, that's a mm. good point and i think the church latches onto that for like well see clearly childbearing is part of the plan if god didn't want to work a miracle through having abraham's wife when she was like 90 or whatever have a baby like she was laughing at god because she was like past childbearing years and then they had Mm. isaac right so i think the the that one-two punch of like childbirth is often viewed as a miracle in the Bible then comes with the pressure of like, you know, Dixie and I in the midst of we've had two miscarriages and right now we're just kind of like taking a break from even thinking about it all because it's a lot for our bodies to take and our psyches to take and all that. Mm -hmm. But it's always in the back of our mind of like, there are some people who legitimately think we are either cursed or living in Mm -hmm. sin. And therefore we are like denied the gift of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And for me being the person who doesn't bear the child, right? Like I don't get pregnant. It's very frustrating to just like 
have to know that those daggers are thrown at Dixie specifically. Mm -hmm. And me just being like, no, you don't get to talk to her like that. Or you don't, we're not going to talk to you at all anymore. If that's how you really think, (laughs) because that's like, I, I don't even know what to say about that, but it's, yeah, it's very frustrating. Well, if anyone wants to hear more of us talking about fertility, we actually did a whole episode on it with Dixie called Why Don't We Talk About Fertility? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is very eye-opening for me, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I think you're totally right that, like, there's there's a lot of rhetoric in the Bible about the miracle of children. And, like, it, in some ways, like... I mean, Jesus, right? Immaculate uh, yeah. conception. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such mm-hmm. a great point. That's hard to get away from. Hmm. Yeah. And, like... Like, it feels obvious that, like, of course humanity has to have kids. Like, of course we're going to continue. Yeah. Like, the majority of the world will have kids. And, like, so, of course, it makes sense that, like, a religion would theologize about it. But then, like, like I think theologizing about things like that, like, quickly turn into prescriptions. And I feel like that's where it gets dangerous because, like, it should be obvious by looking around, but it happens. Like... Yeah. People's spouses die or like you end up like having fertility struggles or like they're in abusive relationships and don't want to bring about children. Yeah. Or divorce happens too. like. um, And I feel like for me, that's what's really interesting about Jesus talking about divorce, like in a climate where like divorce was very taboo and like you did not get divorced. And Jesus is like, well, when you get divorced, like. Yeah. Keep this in mind. Mm. And I feel like he like kind of has this air of like, I know life happens. Mm-hmm. It's never going like no one's relationship is going to be perfect, even if we can like shoot for these quote unquote ideals that we value because like it's quote unquote best outcome or whatever. Sure. I feel like the church does not do a good job of like making sense of that when it comes to relationships. Mm. But I'm not sure how it would do better either. Like I'm not. I don't I'm I'm also not convinced the church needs to be the authority on marriage and relationships either. So that I agree with. Especially if if the church is not going to be committed I think that's what I was saying before was if a church isn't willing to make a committed space in all of a life journey then yeah they should not be the determining factor of how a marriage should be. Like if churches turn away from people who are struggling to have a family or drug addiction or they're homeless, whatever the case may be, then like the church shouldn't be the institution that sets the ideals of this is what marriage should look like. This is what starting a family should look like. This is what Mm. whatever should look like. Because if you're eventually turning your doors away and like you're shutting the doors in front of those people's faces, (laughs) then why do you get to set the standard of what it looks like? Mm. And Josh, like you said, in the Bible, oh my gosh, you have wonderful examples of what not to do in a relationship (laughs) even if it was intentional or not like if that was the author's intent you know one whatever sure but it's like hi yeah david (laughs) yeah like no no intelligent christian is like looking at david and being like this is how courting should go (laughs) yeah Yeah. like even the literalists are not doing that you know (laughs) right like use some judgment (laughs) Well, and I think the other thing, too, that churches get iffy on is the idea of abuse in relationships. Very much you don't want to talk about it. You know, and I, I this is long before I even met Alex, but I was in a very serious relationship. Um, you know, And we were best friends before we dated. You know, we were the best of friends. We connected in many ways. And, you know, he turned out to be very abusive uh, in, mm. in more than one way, unfortunately. And that was very detrimental to our friendship. Like to this day, I don't even like I know where he lives and I know that he has a family. Uh, and but I mm. really don't know the extent of anything more than that. And, you know, relationships really can change how you view marriage. <laughs> like, you know, are you. Mm. Are you so blinded or infatuated that you just kind of forget, oh, yeah, there's like a future that I should really be thinking about this person. But when you're in moments of hurt or abuse, you know, you're thinking, yeah, what is my future going to look like? Am I even going to be alive or am I going to be 
bonded to this person, not out of love, but, you know, with like a chain around my neck, sort of speak. Mm-hmm. And so when people hear this idea of marriage, they potentially see it as just another way to have a hold on my life. You know, like here's another way that someone can have control over me and they don't want that. And I think that's more than valid, you know, and I think, Josh, what you're saying, there's nothing wrong with singleness. Absolutely. You know, if you are empowered through being single, great. Do not feel like you need to enter into something to give someone else power. Because that can be scary, you know, and I was even when I met Alex, I was so nervous to even date Alex because all I knew was this previous relationship. And I'm like, oh, God, is what is all are all men like this, <laughs> you know, and mm. and that changed, luckily, thank God. But I know it it took us a really long time to see a future where I felt safe, where I felt uh. comfortable because I didn't want marriage just to be this big event. and then hope for the best. You know, I wanted marriage to be a commitment where every day, like Alex sees me as worthy and not worthless, Mm. where, you know, I see him as not an abuser, but someone that is going to hold my hand. And I think marriage is scary. And when institutions are not supportive of individuals, then it's really hard to turn to those institutions when you are married or when you have a family <laughs> because they have these standards that you feel you have to follow. And there's a number of people, you know, if they get a divorce, like in the Catholic Church, they're excommunicated. Yeah. And, you know, people keep it hush hush or they eventually they get a divorce and then they stop going to church because they know that they're going to get shunned. And that should never happen because of whatever the circumstances may be. And it's yeah, it's just one of those things that I am so intentional when I'm giving premarital counseling of like, A, this is for you as the couple, like you as individuals and you as a couple. But also, like, I'm not here to tell you what to do. Like, I, my role is very limited because you guys make the relationship what you want. And whatever advice you ask of me is going to be limited because of my experience. And to know that not everyone's going to have all the answers. So, yeah. And for like Stephen, like you have a couple that you look to as mentors. I think that's great, you know, and I think it's good to have those kind of people in your lives. And I also think it's one of those things where you also want to be careful. Like if you look to someone else's marriage, not I'm not saying that you do this, but I feel for people who look to other people's marriages so frequently that they are missing out on their own. Oh, I, I wish we Ooh. would do this. You know, Mm. like you're romanticizing someone else's marriage rather than your own. And I think that's Mm. a very fine line between admiring someone's relationships and goals versus wanting to obtain that so much that you lose sight on your own marriage. Huh. Yeah, especially when advice is easy to give out as if it's one size fits all, whereas what works for one couple will not work for another. Yeah. And being willing to be honest about that and pay attention to that you know, tweak things, change things, make them suit you and your spouse. Yeah, that's huge. Um, two-sided question, and I'm going to ask it, <laughs> I'm going to ask it to you both, but from different angles. Josh, what are stereotypes of marriage that you wonder if they're true or not? Mm. And Emily, what are stereotypes of marriage that you, that just drive you nuts? Ooh. Oh. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I kind of want to hear from both of you. Okay, wait. Okay, wait. Ask, wait. Ask those again first. I, want, I need to wrap my brain around that. Well, the way I heard the question was like, for me, like, what stereotypes do I have about being married that I wonder if are true because I'm not married? And then the way I heard Stephen's question for you was like, what are stereotypes that you hear about marriage that are not true that just drive you nuts? Nailed it. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I got to think for a second. I know. I have to think too. I can go first if you want me to. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So two come to mind for me. And it, it, a lot of it is time related. Huh. First of all, I think the honeymoon period is fake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. 
like certainly there you like in my marriage we will ride peaks and valleys of like desire for each other like in a sexual way but i think calling the honeymoon period the honeymoon period both overhypes it and makes it a lot more stressful for the mm-hmm. people involved to assume that the honeymoon period must be like the wildest most fun crazy sex you'll ever have both for when you're quote unquote in the honeymoon period and for afterward, because I think it it sets up a false narrative of like sex is going to get boring eventually Mm. Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. So that bugs me. Also the idea of stereotypes that say like, yeah, it's around year five or year seven of being married that things are going to get really hard and it's going to be your first like real test of your marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. And for me, like, I think being able to predict that is just completely made up. Like, mm. any circumstance will do that to anyone, you know? Uh, yeah. Like, it happened to be year five of my marriage that the that a global pandemic hit. So, yeah, that made things stressful, but that did not <laughs> need to be year five. Yeah. <laughs> so, those are the two that come to mind that I wanted to feel the question with. Your turn. Yeah. Okay, I've got one. Um, do you think, because I think your take about the honeymoon phase is a very apt take. I like that, the way you worded that. Um, do you think that, do either of you find that there's any sort of roommate phase of being married? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Like in me, a way that yeah. like detracts from your marriage at all or like, oh. or like feels like a distinct huh. part of your relationship? Mm, so okay, I take that back. No, in some ways, I think a lot of Christians get worried about cohabitation before marriage because they like to rely on the metaphor of like you can't test drive a sexual partner before you get married. You know, um, <laughs> great analogy. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you, person that's never said that to me before. You've never heard that? <laughs> what? I grew up hearing that. I mean, I well, I was kind of facetious. I've heard like you know, versions okay, of that. okay, good, <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, okay. At least we're on the same page of like <laughs> we've heard. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> but I think along those same lines, I think sometimes cohabitation can really help reveal where like th- there's a practicality to living with someone that sometimes you don't get, mm-hmm. and I-, I think. A lot of those issues could probably be ironed out if you individually within your partnership have had roommates before. So you can at least come together and be like, "Uh, this drives me nuts. Please don't do this. Or this is how it's worked for me in the past. Mm -hmm. Test drive a roommate, as it were. But I I think Dixie and I have had phases of like, (laughs) you wouldn't test drive a roommate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like that meme. Um, yeah, exactly. And they were roommates. I think sometimes Dixie and I have had phases of like, yeah, it, it's more or less like we feel like roommates sometimes. Hmm. Well, and I think. I don't think that's bad. Now though. to that point. No. And I think to that point, I think of like Alex and I's schedules are so crazy. Like we don't have a standard nine to five desk job. And so there are days where we're like, hey, in passing, love you. Bye. And it's very uh, much like a roommate where, yeah. you know, if you're in college and your class schedules don't line up, like you barely see each other, whether it's at lunch or dinner or whatever. Um, but again, like there's nothing wrong with that. It's our schedules are busy and we're we're doing our jobs to provide for our family and for each other. And like, well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and, and also every partnership is different. So like Dixie and I both feel very comfortable in the amount of independence we have, even on days that we're home together. So like mm-hmm. she's not put off by the fact that I spend three hours editing some podcasts on Saturdays and Sundays. Right. Like she doesn't feel neglected. Like, well, he's finally home from work, but he's not hanging out with me. You know, mm-hmm. just finding that comfortability. It's all just communication, and I, really. And I think like that's my biggest that's my biggest advice or little I don't want to say advice, but my my biggest like phrase. I don't even know what I want to call it. But the biggest thing I tell individuals who come to me for premarital counseling is the idea of two halves becoming whole, I think, is total bullshit. Yeah, Ugh. because you're you're a whole person. Before you met this person, you are still a whole person, but now you're like, you're like Megatron. Like you're, (laughs) you're like, (laughs) 
Okay, like you are two individual pieces coming together to make a bigger thing. Um, and so I think like and Alex and I are the same way. Like Alex is totally fine going downstairs and playing video games for hours on end. And I can do my own thing. And we don't lose a sense of like who we are and we don't mm. need each other to like fill this void because we were still whole people before we even knew each other existed. Yeah. And I think for couples that have this mentality of you need to complete me sets the tone for what your relationship is going to look like, regardless if you get married or not. I mm. think just for couples in general who have this idea of I'm incomplete and you need to be the thing that makes me whole. Like, first of all, man, I'm so sorry you see yourself in that way to where you feel illegitimate and someone else has to fill you like mm. there's a difference between being filled by someone you love and being filled because you feel incomplete and unworthy. Mm. Yeah. Can I be honest? I think that's we need to we ought to reframe even our the way we talk about Jesus in the same way. Like, I mm. think I think Jesus's mm. whole message to us was. You were never not complete. What made you think Amen. that? You know? A freaking men. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, Jesus, a single guy. Yeah. <laughs> like traditionally. Like, Unless you're full on like Da Vinci code. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Um, what do you think about, uh, I feel like I've encountered this in Christian marriage culture before. Uh, what do you think about the uh, perception that marriage is just hard. Like, it's hard work. Bullshit. Like, in some ways, I feel like that can be good to, like, you know, clue people in on, like, you know, it's not all, it's not all butterflies and rainbows all the time. Like, you gotta, like, you know, put in 100% effort. Like, you can't just, like, 50-50 it. But, like, it feels weird when people are like, yeah, my marriage is so difficult. Uh, well, hot take. Maybe it's mm. not for you then. I don't know. Like, hot take. Hot take. Go. Your marriage will present itself to you as difficult in an inverse relationship to the amount of work you've done with your own ego death and growth and humility. Ah. Like, so if you come to your marriage with a tremendous amount of like personal agenda and I, I like things done this way. And if my partner can't see that, then she needs to change mm. or whatever. Like if you are so mm. resolute in your own uh, positions or I don't know, call it full of pride or something like that. But if like, if you're set in your ways, sure. your marriage will be hard. Like, yeah, I think marriage mm. is so much like the, the blending of two lifestyles is hard work. And if you're not willing to bring some humility to it and recognize that like compromise and communication are the names of the game, like, yeah, it's going to be hard. And I think to your point, Josh, like it, well, maybe marriage wasn't for you then. Like if you only got married because you're a Christian and you wanted to bone, <laughs> that's a problem because there's a Not lot of reason to get married. There's a lot more to marriage <laughs> yeah. than getting naked. Yeah. I think one stereotype is um, that your spouse automatically becomes your best friend. Ooh. I have friends that are my best friends and I love Alex to death. But I don't I like I don't know if we're best friends like I I, I uh, and again, that's not like a bad thing. It's different. There's different quality, you know, and like oh, Stephen knows who my best friend is. Shelby, like we are we have this little acronym for each other. We're B-F-F-L-A-A-O-E's, which is best friends for life and all of eternity. And like that is true. Aww. But like Alex is at a different level that I can't like equate to a best friend. And so I think to have this assumption that once you're married, you're automatically best friends is kind of bogus uh <laughs> again and i think it has to do with those relationships that entered into marriage when they weren't ready puts a lot of pressure on another person puts a lot of pressure but, but again like it like i like your points there but also i'm convinced that like no one's ever ready like there's no point at which you're like ideal human okay you can get married and have kids now like i mean i also think that some people probably shouldn't have kids or get married because they like need to work on themselves or they're just like too harmful to other people. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how to word that because like, I think that like we're all in process and we're always growing or like we should be trying to improve ourselves for our own sake and others. But like, I don't think anyone's ever like ready. You know what I mean? Totally. I get that. As much preparedness as you try to give someone pre in premarital counseling. <laughs> no offense to you. 
None taken. Mm. Well, thanks for raveling out this topic with me. I think I think there's still so much to discuss, even just like with the idea of relationships and commitment, you know? Yeah. It's something that I think the church should really look into. Because I think whether we like to see it or not, or whether the institution likes to see it or not, churches do play a role in relationships, whether it's the standards of what a relationship should look like or the involvement in which they are supportive of people in any stage of a relationship, whether it's single, married, dating, divorced, widowed. I think there's just a lot for churches to to think about. Mm. Any closing thoughts? I like being married. Yeah, I do, too. <laughs> that seems so that seems so simple. But yeah, I enjoy it. Heck yeah. I like my partner. She's a great friend to me. And like, yeah, I don't know. It is. So along the lines of like marriage is hard. I think often the way that is like lamented is that it feels like uh, we are against each other in marriage. Mm. Whereas like maybe maybe a generous reframing for me is like marriage has been hard, but that's because of the things that we've both walked through together and we're both better for it. Yeah. Yeah. And if anyone wants a fantastic little book to read that's not like super heavy with theology that you need to disagree with or agree with, <laughs> um, my absolute favorite marriage book, I actually give it as a wedding gift for every wedding I go to. Um, it's called The oh. Zimzum of Love by Rob and Kristen Bell. Mm. It's a fantastic little book. It took me about an hour to read, but it has a fantastic way of framing your relationship, marriage or not as like an exchange of energy in the space between you. And that has been fantastically foundational to me and Dixie. So plug. Well, Emily, I don't know if I have any other, I guess the like, you know, Alex and Thea are standing in the room here right now. Um, and I just think of like, that's the product of my marriage. You know, that's not the product of everyone's marriage as a kid or, you know, but, mm. you know, but I just think of like, what have I accomplished in the time that I've been married and I look at like my individual journey alongside the journey that I've had with my husband and it's wonderful and definitely peaks and definitely valleys and I honestly wouldn't change anything about it and to know that it is you know and we've said it it, it is a commitment like every day I'm choosing this commitment and yeah, it's going to be hard, but there are days where it's going to be super easy and there's going to be days where it's really fun. And then there's going to be days where you're like, oh, my gosh, like, why? What have I gotten myself into or whatever the case may be? But like you make it what you want, like you reap what you sow. And so just to be careful and to be mindful and to be true to yourself. That's good. I give marriage five out of five stars. Oh, that's a good rating. Leave a review. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. If you want to give our marriage of Ravel five out of five stars or fewer, um, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. We're trying to ramp up our reviews to celebrate episode 100, which we are quickly approaching. So thank you to everyone who has been leaving reviews. We read every single one. Emily, how would you close out a discussion on marriage? Whether you're single, you're dating, you're married, you're divorced, or you're widowed, this idea of marriage and relationships is very tricky, is very messy, and very complicated. There are still questions that we have about relationships. There are questions that we have about our faith and relationships, but we can ravel it out together and just know that there's always appreciation for whoever you are no matter whom you're loving or what part of life that you're loving, uh, it's a wonderful journey to be a part of. And for those of you who celebrate Valentine's Day as Single Awareness Day, I was along that camp with you. So just know that there's absolutely nothing wrong with whatever stage of your relationship life you are in. Hello 
and welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do marketable that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. And, well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.